0: in Apex, North Carolina. Stay tuned, at the end of the program, we will give you information on how to contact us, so be sure to have a pen and paper ready. Today, Pastor Rodney will be teaching from the book of Matthew, chapter eight. So grab your Bibles and follow along. Now with today's teaching, here's Pastor Rodney.
1: So far, we've heard a lot of preaching from Jesus, On the person of the kingdom, we talked about this in chapter 1 through 4. We've been talking about the person of the kingdom. And then in chapter 5, bring you up to date here, chapter 1 through 4, we've got the person of the kingdom. And then in chapter 5, we have the principles of the kingdom. The beatitudes, you remember? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. And Jesus is giving the disciples the beatitudes. They're not the do attitudes. They're the Beatitudes. We need to be these things in the power of the Holy Spirit in chapter 5. And then in chapter 6, we saw the priority of prayer in the kingdom. Jesus gave us the model prayer. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. The model prayer. That's not the Lord's prayer. That's the model prayer. If you want to read the Lord's prayer, got a pen? John chapter 17. You'll find the Lord's prayer. But here in Matthew chapter six, we find the model prayer and Jesus is given the priority of prayer. And then in chapter seven, Jesus talks about the problem, the problem of having a worried heart. So many people worry. I'm sad when I see Christians worry because faith and fear can't coexist. Amen, saints. Faith and fear cannot coexist. You are either full of faith or you're full of fear, but not both at the same time. And so Jesus talks about, that's a problem. That's a problem of having a worried heart. And not only the problem of having a worried heart, but the problem of being judgmental in chapter 7, the problem of judgmentalism. And then in chapter 8, last week we saw in chapter 8, Jesus pours out the power of the kingdom on three people, the leper, the Gentile, and on a woman. The leper, the Gentile, and on a woman. The miracles that Jesus did prove that he is God. The miracles that Jesus did makes his preaching practical. And the miracles that Jesus did tells us that there is nothing too hard for God. Hey, let's go one step further. There's nothing even hard for God. Don't you love it? There's nothing even hard for God. Well, God, I need this, and God, I need that, and oh, God, I can always tell people's faith where it is, just by how they pray. God, if you're, if you're there, if you can uh, help out, I, you know, it would be greatly appreciated. And I'm like, hello, wait a minute, we're talking about God here. Of course he's there, of course he can help. There's nothing hard for our God. Amen, saints. I love that. And that's why we have all these miracles, not so we can go, ooh, all the miracles of Jesus. Jesus did miracles. Of course he did. He's God. He does miracles. He always has. It's a miracle that we even saved. Isn't that true? That's the greatest miracle. That's greater than seeing legs lengthened and head stretched and people healed and stuff. Salvation is a, a marvelous, wonderful miracle. Why do we take it for granted? It's amazing. People are looking for signs and wonders. Hey, look in the mirror. You're saved. This is God's grace, and it's a miracle. Amen. It is a miracle. Man, when you get to heaven, you in heaven is a miracle. I mean, man, that's a miracle. I can't believe it. I made it. Yeah, me either. And uh no. Love you, mean it. And uh, but it's a miracle. Oh, I love the word. It's so wonderful. Just looking at what Jesus did. And so last week we looked at the Jesus healed the leper, cleansed the leper, healed the Gentile and uh, touched Peter's mother-in-law, this violent, aggressive fever that she had. And now today, Jesus is going to move on to talk to us about, got a pen, write this down, true biblical discipleship. In the church today, we hear a lot about discipleship. We hear a lot about, you know, you need to be disciple. Are you in a disciple group? Uh, you know, do you have a discipler? You need to be discipled. And we hear a lot about discipleship in the in the church today. But I got to tell you something. I think that a lot of times and what we've been hearing and what we need to be careful about is that our discipleship doesn't become a counseling time. That our discipleship does not become a time in which I'm trying to disciple you to be like me in some way or I'm trying to impart to you what I think it takes to be truly spiritual. We need to be careful about this. We need to be careful that our discipleship is true biblical discipleship that brings us to the cross. That brings people to the cross of Jesus. Our discipleship has to be from the words of Jesus, from his word, and what he has to say about following him. Because that's what the word disciple means. It means to be an imitator of Jesus. It means to follow Jesus with all your heart, mind, and soul. Not just part of you, but all of you. Every bit of you. You got to take all of you to the cross and nail it to the cross. That's a tough. That's a toughie Me on the cross That's a toughie That's what Jesus is talking about He's going to talk to two people this morning Number one, the hasty scribe The hasty scribe Jesus is going to talk to him about discipleship And then he's going to talk to a reluctant disciple The hasty scribe is what we're going to talk about And the reluctant disciple in Matthew chapter 8, saints, beginning in verse 18, if you're there, say amen. amen. And when Jesus saw a great multitude about him, he gave command to depart to the other side. And then a certain scribe came to him and said, Rabboni, teacher, rabbi, master, I will follow you wherever you go. In a fit of emotion, in a fit of emotionalism, he says, Lord, rabbi, anywhere, anywhere, everywhere you go, I'm going to follow you. And notice what Jesus said. Here's the clincher. Here it is. Here it is. Jesus said to him, you want to follow me? Here it is. Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. Well, then another of his disciples said to him, Lord, let me first. Now, I'll give you a clue. Therein lies the problem. You see it? Me first. That's a problem. Lord, let me first go and bury my father. But Jesus said to this reluctant disciple, follow me. He implies in the Greek now. Now. And let the dead bury their own. Now, stop right there. Give me your attention. Jesus, as you know, if you've been with us, you know that Jesus has just finished preaching the greatest sermon to ever fall on the ears of men. Jesus was the greatest preacher you have ever, ever, will ever hear. The greatest. We listen to a lot of great preaching from people, pastors, and preachers throughout the ages—Spurgeon uh, and Moody and Finney and 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 Evans and Smith and Graham—and we hear great, 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 great preaching throughout the ages. But I'll tell you something: there's no preaching like the preaching that comes from the greatest preacher who ever lived, and his name is—oh, you know. And so he's up on the mountain, and he's preaching to his disciples, giving them the Sermon on the Mount. When he's done preaching, he comes down from the mountain, and there are thousands of people gathered around. And they're all crowding around him, and Jesus doesn't want this kind of PR, But people are all gathered around him and here comes through the crowd, weaving through all these people, unclean, 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 as the leper makes his way to come to Jesus so that he can receive a touch from Jesus that Jesus might make him clean. And he comes to Jesus and and he says, Lord, if you're willing, he says, make me clean. Jesus said, I am willing, touched him and he was clean. And then the centurion came to him and said, my servant is sick. And Jesus said, he's healed now. And just like that, his servant was healed. And then Peter invited Jesus to lunch because Jesus had been preaching a lot, and you get hungry after you've been preaching after three services every Sunday. (laughs) You know what I'm saying. (laughs) And Peter says, Hey, Jesus, come on over. Come on over to lunch. Well, Jesus goes with Peter, goes to his house, and he finds his mother in law. And she's got a very bad, violent, aggressive fever. And Jesus touches this woman and heals her. And guess what she did? She got up and she served them. What does that tell us? That tells us whenever you're touched by Jesus and you're truly touched by Jesus, you want to serve him. You, you want to serve him. Nobody has to disciple you into serving him. You just want to serve him, Lord. I want to serve you. I want to give you my life. I want to give you my heart. I want to give you everything I have, Lord. My time, my efforts, my money, everything. I just want to serve you. Why? Because you touched me. That's all. Thank you for touching me. I want to serve you. And that's what this woman did. She served him. And then the crowds, they just kept coming. And they were big crowds. And thousands of people continued to gather around Jesus. And and, and Jesus, seeing the multitude, he says, hey, let's go to the other side. And then this scribe comes up to him and apparently, obviously, this scribe has been impressed by the miracles and the healing and the lame people walking and the lepers being cleansed and the demons being cast out. This man was surprised, this scribe, and in a fit of emotionalism, the scribe says, Lord, I'll follow you anywhere and everywhere you go. Now understand something, scribes, intelligent people. Very intelligent, very bright. The scribes were educators. They were teachers. Teachers of the law. And generally, scribes, there's lots of scribes talked about in the New Testament. But generally, you find the scribes that are talked about in the New Testament, they hated Jesus. They were antagonistic toward Jesus. The Pharisees were antagonistic toward Jesus. The Sadducees and the scribes, they didn't like Jesus. And they sought to antagonize him. But this scribe. Is very different than all of the other scribes, because this scribe who was trained in the Torah is now saying, Jesus, I'm not antagonizing you. I now want to follow you. Why? In a fit of emotionalism, I'll go with you. Sound familiar? In a fit of emotionalism, uh, God, I'll serve you. God, I'll do whatever you want me to do. Just don't send me to Africa to be a missionary with all the bugs. God, I'll do whatever you want. Just don't do How how do we do that? God, I'll do whatever you want. Just don't do this and don't do that and don't do this and don't do that. But other than that, I'll do whatever you want. It's amazing how we do that. And the scribe was no different. And many people follow Jesus for many different reasons. Some follow him because of the miracles, because they're curious. And some follow him because of his teaching, because they're convinced. And still yet, there are some who follow him because they want to be true disciples. They're committed. Curious, convinced, committed. Which one are you? Why do you follow him? Are you just curious? You come to church because you're just curious and you think that it's just kind of cool to go to church on Sunday just to see what happens? Or are you one who follows him because you're convinced that his teaching is true and his way is right? And then have you moved on to say, Lord, not only was I curious and convinced, but now I'm committed. I'm going to serve you with my whole heart, mind and soul all the rest of the days of my life. Where are you? Well, we've got to answer that question. Now, one thing I love about Jesus, Jesus never talks just to be saying words. I like that about Jesus. See, you could be talking a lot and saying nothing. No comments from the peanut gallery, all right? All right. But not Jesus. No, 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 he never talks to say nothing. Jesus is speaking to this man's heart. Jesus is speaking to this man's heart. The man says, Lord, I'll follow you wherever you want wherever you go, I'll go there too. And Jesus says, Hey, here, here, okay, really? You really mean that? What if I was Jesus? I would have let him on. When you really? You really mean that? Really I mean, you really mean it oh yeah, Jesus, wherever you say, whatever you want to do. Yes, Jesus, I will. Yes, I will, I know I will. I just said, Well, guess what? We're gonna go and travel and we're gonna be homeless. Oh, what you talking about, Willis? That kind of wasn't what I was uh, thinking here. You know, Jesus, you're like God and everything. We could have limos and TV shows and stuff, you know. Jesus said, hey, you want to follow me? Foxes have holes and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Jesus just tells the truth. He does not mislead anyone. Jesus does not tell people what they want to hear. He tells them the truth. And he tells them basically, if you want to follow me, it's going to be costly. (laughs) Costly? Oh, yeah. Uh, No easy believism here. No easy Christianity here. No greasy grace. You know, people like Greasy Grace. Well, you know, I can believe in Jesus and that's all I have to do. No. Listen, as we are out sharing the gospel, saints, and as you're telling people about Jesus, be sure to tell them that it is not enough to simply believe in Jesus. You know, we say that all the time. Well, all you have to do is believe in Jesus and you'll be saved. Well, that's just a fraction of truth to tell you. That's the beginning. The truth is that's the beginning to believe in Jesus. That is the beginning, but it cannot stop there. You cannot be saved just because you believe in Jesus, because the Bible is very clear that even the demons believe and they tremble. Not only that, but you have to be an idiot not to know that Jesus was a a real world figure, a real person who really died. It's historically recorded outside of the Bible. We call it extra biblical evidence. You don't even have to believe the Bible to believe in Jesus. Because historically, the person of Christ is a fact. Unarguable. So to believe in Jesus and to be saved, you cannot just believe in Jesus. You must believe in Jesus by resting and trusting in him. And then you have to do what he says to do. He says, if you love me, then keep my commandments and you've got to follow him. This is true salvation and true biblical discipleship is to follow him. Now, therein lies the proof that you really do believe in Jesus. Saints, if you know what I'm talking about, say amen. Amen. This is what true biblical faith is all about. It's not just to believe in Jesus. And this is why the church has received a black eye. and, And people think, oh, Christians are all hypocrites. They all say one thing and do something else. They all believe in Jesus. Well, I believe in Jesus too. Well, this is why, because we say we believe in Jesus, and yes, I guess you, it's great that you believe, but people aren't following him. People are not becoming disciples of him. We just come down the aisle and, and come get saved, and you come down and, Lord, I love you. Yes, Jesus, I believe in you. Hand me a tissue. Lord, I love you, Jesus. Oh, yes, I do. <laughs> Here's a Bible for spiritual laws. Calvary Chapel business card, make sure you come back. And then bye. Ah oh, man, we are missing it. We are missing it. And this is what Jesus says. You wanna follow me? No greasy grace. You wanna follow me? No easy believism. No, you can't just believe it's going to be costly. It's going to cost you something. In Luke chapter 9, verse 23, Jesus said this, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Three things. Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. You see, this scribe who saw the multitudes and the miracles that Jesus did was impressed with the success but he never seeks to surrender his life, and Jesus cuts right through the heart of the matter. You want to follow me it's going to cost you. Apparently, this man was into riches and materialism, and jesus said it's going to cost you. You want to follow me it 's costly. I don't have a place to live. I don't have anything. I don't have a place to call my own. And if you're going to follow me, you're not going to have anything. You're not going to have a place to live. And you're not going to have a place to call your own. Is Jesus saying we all need to go and sell our houses and stuff? No. He's saying we need to seek to surrender everything to him. Amen, saints? Just, Lord, here it is. If we're going to be true disciples is what we're talking about. Jesus didn't have anything. I heard a guy the other day, and, and he was he said, he said, Jesus was rich. He said, Jesus had a huge house. Of course, you know, that whole prosperity doctrine that people are teaching. And uh, that's a whole other sermon. We'll talk about that later. But Jesus was rich. He had a huge house. He had a designer robe, he said. Jesus wore a designer robe. I'm like, okay and where'd you get that from and, you know Jesus had designer robe and he went into it cause it was made of one seam and in those days something being made of one seam and it was designer and all this stuff I'm like one seam that's cause they didn't have that much thread and you gotta make it work you know what I mean I mean you can't be getting all custom you know what I mean like you know Hugo Boss robe you know what I mean it's ridiculous and I'm like ay ay ay! what are you saying? I mean, wait a minute now. Read your Bible. Because in the Bible, look, when Jesus came in the world, he didn't even have a nice, sterile, clean hospital to be born in. He was born in a stable, and he was placed, he didn't even have a place to have, have like a little baby warmer. He didn't have a baby warmer. He had a manger that wasn't even His. When Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a donkey, guess what? He had to borrow it because he didn't have one. When Jesus was in the upper room celebrating the Seder feast and the Passover with his disciples, guess what? He had to borrow the room because he didn't have one. Jesus was most certainly not rich. (laughs) He had to borrow the grave that he was buried in on Joseph's new tomb. Now, of course, he only needed it for three days. So, I mean, he just, just kind of give it back to him. And they say, oh, because, you know, we know Jesus was rich and had a big house. Because when, you know, they said, Jesus said, come see where I live. They said, Lord, where you're staying and where you're living, Jesus said, come and see. And so they say, because Jesus said, come and see where I'm living and staying, he must have had a big house. I'm like, <laughs> Stupid. Jesus was not rich. The Bible says in heaven he was rich and when he came to the earth he became he who was rich became poor that we might become rich. But Jesus was not rich. He never wrote a book and yet all the libraries of the world can't hold all the books about him. He never wrote a song, and yet he has furnished a the theme for more songs than all the writers put together. He never founded a college, and yet all the schools together has not had as many students as he has. He never practiced medicine, and yet he has healed more people than doctors have healed broken bones. You see, that's Jesus we're talking about. This is not the one who was rich, This is the one who said to the scribe, if you want to follow me, he says, foxes have holes and birds have nests. But the son of man, he hath nowhere to lay his head. Psalm 84. Write this down. Psalm 84 verses 1 through 4. Interesting verse. It reads this. How lovely is your tabernacle, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, even faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Even the sparrow has a home. And the swallow, a nest for herself, where she may lay her young. Where? On the altar. Even your altars, O Lord of hosts, my king and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house. They will still be praising you. Salah. David wrote this when he was on the run.